Hello, you're listening to Making It Count, a podcast that provides practical financial advice for every stage of life with a twist. We're your hosts, Christina and Will. We aren't financial experts. We're just like you, aka trying not to stumble our way to financial success. That's where our money smart friends come into the equation. You see what I did there, Will? Yes. I guess we need to add a bad pun disclaimer to our show description. Well, as long as we add a reality TV spoiler disclaimer as well. I'm there for that. You'll want to stay tuned for fun guest interviews. Discussions around money taboos. And apparently corny jokes and Real Housewives references. Mm -hmm. That is so perfectly us. So together, let's make make it count. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Making It Count. Today, we're continuing our Money Plus Love mini-series with part five. Man, part five. I know. Well, that's right. We are focusing on family lending and how to help aging parents financially. And this is a topic that I think a lot of our listeners will find really useful. We're also going to be talking a little bit about the sandwich generation, people who are making sandwiches now, people who are still (laughs) raising kids of their own whose parents are over 65. Oh, that's me. I didn't know I was called that. I'm in part of the sandwich generation. So I just read a U.S. news article about the average cost of elder care, and the number is incredibly high. Like I thought, like when my children were really young, we had to pay an astronomical amount for daycare. But then later in life, I never thought of elder care and how expensive that is. It says it's more than $19,000 per year per adult for adult care and up to $106,000 per year for a nursing home. Very expensive. Wow. Yeah. Those numbers are really scary, especially for people who still have kids at home. And we've talked about the expense of having children. Mm -hmm. Team no kids. (laughs) Dual income, no children. (laughs) But, you know, just considering the cost of college and all of that. So... But before we introduce our guest, Christina, mm-hmm. have you ever been involved with a family lending situation, either as the lender or the borrower? In our family, we do not lend each other our money. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's an unusual thing, especially coming from a Hispanic family. Like we just don't. I don't know. We don't really talk about money. And I know we had a whole episode on money taboos, but I just I've never even thought to ask my family for money. I don't know. What yeah. about you? Uh, no, same. I don't think that my family has ever really done that. I mean, they've never done it with me. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I never asked for it. So right. I think it's just one of those things. But the, when I was growing up, the one thing my parents always told me was it, you don't it, like if it's somebody, you know, family or friends or whatever, if you're giving if you're bar, letting somebody borrow money, you're giving them money. You're not. Yes. They're not borrowing it. Yep. You will. You should never expect it back. Period. So the I think for them, like, if that was to happen, I think they would just probably say, like, this is yours. It's a wash. Yeah. If you ever can pay us back, great. But we're not expecting it at this point. Same it with can, me. It can hurt the relationship because, you know, if I give you money, if I give you 100 bucks or something and then you never pay me back, I'm like, wow, Christine's a cheapskate. <laughs> she never paid me back. I mean, I think you already think that by the way that you talked to me on this podcast. I'm not a cheapskate. That's not even the right word. That you're a fraud. No. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. I would say I'm a different F word. I'm frugal. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say the F word. (laughs) Frugal Frugal. is not a bad word. I am proud to be frugal. Yeah, that's a good word. (laughs) Cheap is another one, but. I don't like that. (laughs) That doesn't sound as good. I don't like to say that I spend in an exorbitant fashion. I 
spend in form of self-care. Oh, okay. Whatever helps you sleep at night, Will. Whatever (laughs) helps you sleep. All right, let's introduce our guests. We have two today, and they both have a lot to offer regarding today's topic. First, we have returning guest Juan Velasco. Juan, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Uh, This is Juan. I've uh, I worked I've worked for Addition Financial for the past ten years. Wow! Uh, currently uh, sitting as a specialist in our member experience and sales department. And uh, yeah, I just uh, thank you for having me here. We're so glad to have you back. Yeah, thanks for coming back, Juan. I'm glad we didn't scare you away the first time. <laughs> you kind of did a little bit, to be oh! honest. <laughs> well, you can check him out in our bankruptcy episode a few episodes ago. And next we have Jennifer Lee from Modern Wealth. Uh, first time on a podcast. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I've been in the wealth management industry for 27 years now. Uh, primarily, my focus in my practice is working with people in financial transition and with multi-generational planning. Perfect. That's exactly what we're talking about today. So we are so happy to have you. Well, I'm going to get us started Juan, this question is for you. You're going to kick us off. No pressure. No pressure at all. What is the upside? We just talked about, well, let's start from the beginning. Juan, have you ever borrowed money from family or have let other people borrow from you? I have let other people borrow from me. Of course. You're like the nicest guy. Juan really is that person. I know. He really is. So how did that turn out? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Do do you want the truth or no? Uh, Well, uh, I think that there could definitely be an upside from letting a relative borrow money. And I could tell you from my side how I made that decision, determination. Uh, but I'm, I, th- I got to say that I agree with Will. If you're letting a family member borrow money, uh, the best thing is to make sure that the money you're letting someone borrow is money that you're not going to need in the near present or anywhere down the line because it's a possibility that the money never returns. Uh, there's a reason why they're going to a family member to borrow money as opposed to a bank, right? Uh, so the idea behind uh, just letting someone borrow money out of pure love is great, but make sure that you are yourself sustainable and you can manage without that money for the time being. Uh, but when when I let someone borrow money, uh, it was a uh, it was a family member. Her car her car had broken down, and um, you know she needed the money, and she was working but needed the car to go to work. So um, we ended up setting some parameters. I, I think it's very important to establish expectations when. Uh, when dealing with a family member, be very precise with how we're going to pay back. You know, kind of like when you we do a loan here. Just uh, if you can put it in writing, that will be even better. Um, but uh, the gain of letting someone borrow money is just sat- the satisfaction of you helping out your your family member. And that that to me is worth more than any money that anybody can pay back. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you need, if you if you are seeking for that money to be paid back, then make sure you set up parameters as to how you're gonna get that money back. All right, my question is for you, Jennifer, and it's the opposite of Christina's question. What are the downsides and risks of lending to family members? Absolutely. So I think um, Juan really hit the highlights of of some parameters around um, loaning family members money or really anyone lending them money because, you know, there's risk involved. If they're not able to get a loan at a bank, 
um, then they probably have less of a ability to pay back, uh, generally speaking. So you want to be very concerned about um, what the item is for or what the loan is for. Um, are they going to have the ability to pay back? Certainly in Juan's example where it's a repair to a car to facilitate going to work, that makes a lot of sense. If it's a loan to buy something that's recreational, well, I think you have to discuss that and consider whether that's a need or a want. So there's certainly risks associated with lending money, whether you're actually going to get that money back. The other thing that comes up a lot is resentment. So let's say you lend a family member some money for something uh, that seems responsible, a child's education, a camp, or something for them for their benefit, and and you believe that to be a a good loan and a and a nice opportunity for you to help. And then you see that same family member, you know, going out to dinner all the time and spending all kinds of extra money. There's the potential to have some resentment about their financial responsibility. I didn't even think about that. I would be very bad if I loan, like if I was in your situation, Juan, and then I see you're out partying all night, like, mm Oh my God, she'd be the worst. <laughs> she'd but be yeah. like, I know how much you spent. Stop it. <laughs> Never taking money from you. <laughs> all right. Will, or sorry, not Will. Juan, um, I'm a, as you know, I'm a parent and my kids will probably eventually go to college. So they'll probably need student loans. So is co-signing for a student loan for one of your children, is that a good idea or is that something I should avoid doing? Yeah. Well, I think most importantly, uh, parents and kids should be aware of the different amounts of financial assistance that is available to students. And not only financial aid assistance, but also scholarships. I mean, there is a tremendous amount of resources that uh, any uh, potential student can have access to if they just ask at their current school. Um, because there's so many scholarships available that there's people getting money uh, just because they're the only ones who applied. Mm-hmm. Not because they qualify for the scholarship. <laughs> and the reason being is because there's also low applications for scholarships. A lot of times it's because it requires an essay or some sort of action in your part and students being lazy, they just don't do it. Uh, but my best recommendation would be to, uh, yes, considering co-signing for your children may be a good thing, but really make sure that your child is informed about the different options that there exist uh, for for financial assistance on student loans because there is a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. And making sure that like that your kids understand the obligation of a student loan because it's the easiest loan anyone will ever get in their entire life. Like they just hand it out like it's candy. So absolutely, it, it can feel very like, well, this must be normal because it wasn't difficult. They didn't really, you know, they're just giving me money. So, but at the end of the day, it can add up to a mortgage for some people. Mm-hmm. And what we learned from the bankruptcy episode is that is one loan that never goes away. Like, yeah, they might pause it for a second, right? such in the case of the pandemic, but it's not going away. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is that um, the loans that the students are getting are also helping to cover like living expenses. And there's a lot of students that don't need that type of coverage because they live under their parents' roof or whatever, but they're still acquiring the debt as uh, labeled living expense, but they're really just getting the money and spending it on whatever because you're a 20 year old who does not yeah, know how to manage money. Is out of their house on their own. That's a for big the first TV. Time. I want a big flat screen TV. And you'll get the money for it if you ask. 
But then you'll be paying for that flat screen TV for life. So like education me. is big on this piece. Making sure that the parent and the child is educated both. Mm-hmm. All right. So just to quickly go back to the whole college and um, co-signing for your kids. I just wanted to point out that it's also important for the parents to evaluate with the kids what school they're choosing. Very important uh, because... Uh, there's also public options that are much cheaper than going with a private school. And I see a lot of members, especially the younger members, that put themselves on a spot where they're paying a $50,000 loan for a certificate, not even a bachelor's or, a, you know, or, or something of a higher um, degree. It's, and it has to do with uh, going public versus going private. And a lot of the decisions that are made are made impulsive within in, in, in an impulsive way because some of these private colleges are going out to see your your kids and um, they make you sign up. Come see us. Come check us out. You know, nothing out of pocket up front because obviously it's going to be paid with student loans. So when it's presented to you in a manner where it's easy, easily accessible to you, then you're likely to go for it. But are you going for it because that's the school that you want to go to or just because that's the choice that was presented to you? So thinking about that, it's important. All right. So, Jennifer, if people do want to co-sign their children's student loans, what are some pointers for a smooth experience? So, you know, you guys are talking about um, the responsibility and explaining these things to to kids. What we have to remember is they are kids. They're going into college. They're 18, they're 19, they're 20. Um, you know, there's studies that say that that the adult brain doesn't develop till you're 21 to 24, depending on whether you're male or female. So we're really having conversations and discussing things that maybe they're not truly able to absorb um, the ramifications of. So there's a couple of different things that you can do in addition to grants and scholarships and, and financial aid. Certainly you need to evaluate all those options that are in different institutions, different um, state programs. Sometimes there are um, civic organizations or church groups that um, may offer different scholarships that children may be available to um, access, and that's wonderful. In addition to that, I was talking to a colleague of mine who, when he went to school, um, in his, when in his 17th year of life, his parents stopped claiming him as an adult. And so there are different rules in different states about um, financial responsibility, who has to sign on as a dependent. So in this example, and you'd need to check out how it applies to you in your specific state, um, but in this example, he wasn't claimed in his 18th year and in his freshman year of college, he was an adult and claimed himself. So given that, his parents did not need to co-sign for his sophomore, junior, and senior year. So that's a consideration, too. It worries me when we look at parents signing on to children's education because we want to make sure that they're serious. We want to make sure that they're not partying. I'm sure you all remember your freshman year and that little bit of taste of freedom. We want to make sure that those dollars, college is so expensive, are really going to um, good use. I think probably another thing, like I I got a scholarship from my elementary school PTSA. Like I was the only one that applied. <laughs> and I got like 500 bucks. 
But hey, that 500 bucks paid for some books. Like, I applied for everything. Books are expensive. Books are expensive. That probably covered two books. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) And then you try to sell them back and you get like $20 for that $120 book. So renting textbooks wasn't around when you were... Stop it. I rented textbooks my senior year of college. You are so mean. But they're getting around uh, renting though, like by just like doing the one-time code and you still have to buy the book. Yeah, that's true. Or those professors that made you buy the book because they were the one that authored it. Did you guys have any yes. of those? I had a professor who did that, but the book was like 15 bucks. So it, was, okay. it wasn't well, bad. that's not... But then... A lot of my professors were really nice because they would stick to the previous ver- edition of a book. That's nice. Like, they wouldn't update to the newest edition because it was so such a minimal change. Yeah. And it was really just to make the extra money. So, Oh, the college years. Check.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So last one about college and education before we switch gears into our parents and helping them. So... Juan, would you recommend, like, I've also heard of some parents that are like, okay, get get the student loans, but then at, I'll agree to pay back your student loans. Like, I'll, I agree to pay back all of your education afterwards. Is that something that you would recommend parents do? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, th- I think the first thing that I would address is uh, where where is this coming from? Is it coming from a place of pride? I want to pay for my kid's school. Uh, or is it coming from a sense of I, I really, I'm, I'm an affluent person a person at this point and I know that I can take on this financial burden and be okay at the end of the day. Uh, so if, 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 if the parent is thinking about approaching this in a way of, of, of being pride and wanting to pay for the kid's school, then absolutely not. I mean, that you should really think about it twice uh, because as we explained, the financial burden of uh, an educational loan lives on even through a bankruptcy. So, we definitely want to be careful as to how we overcompromise our budget, especially uh, if if you're if if the parent is in an age group where they have to start planning for retirement. Yeah. So that leads me right into my next question. At the other end of parent-child money discussions, Jennifer, what are some pointers to help people talk to aging parents about money? You know, this is a touchy subject all around as an advisor. I still don't love having those conversations. You know, they're they're super important and we have to have them. So I often find myself coaching my clients on how to talk to their parents, how to talk to their kids about these things. So uh, at either end of the spectrum, neither is easy. So on the one hand, you're talking to parents um, who have adequate resources. And so those discussions, uh, adequate resources for retirement and for their life. So those kind of discussions may involve gifting and charitable donations, you know, annual gifting to, to children, to grandchildren, and really legacy planning. And you're also talking to them about leveraging long-term care insurance, wanting to make sure that their assets and their selves are protected. And I have one client who, you know, has enough, has adequate assets and doesn't spend her money. So I have to encourage her, hey, if you want to do a family trip and you want to take care of it for everyone, that's okay. So we often talk about uh, lifestyle and quality of life and what's important in your value system and try to match your money to that. So that's on the on the very far end of successful. I've accumulated assets, and what do I do now? Um, topics of discussion with parents, and at the other end, you know, maybe more seriously evaluating budgets. 
considering how and where the parent can cut back on their spending. And it may involve, you know, it potentially could involve children having to pitch in for medical, for lifestyle, and for maintenance. You know, you want your parents, um, you want to you ask them, how are they doing with their money? Are they fearful or worried? Do they have a little bit of bit extra or do they need a little bit of extra help? And what would that look like? Sometimes we'll find that people who are a little bit light on cash flow are accumulating credit card debt and they really don't realize that they're spending more than they're bringing in. So those are some of the kind of difficult conversations that we have with clients and and with parents. Probably a good time to bring the siblings together, oh, sit no, down no, with no. your parents. <laughs> no, no. No? I was just about to say it should be the oldest child's responsibility. Uh, oh, wait, let me guess. You're not the oldest <laughs> I'm the child. Youngest. Oh, well, There's no. three above. So one of the three can figure that out. Juan, <laughs> are you are you the oldest? I am. Juan would totally be the responsible one. What about you, Jennifer? Are you the what what are you in your sibling ranking? I'm the oldest. Uh, see, we're the response. I'm also the oldest. We are the responsible ones. Everyone in this room, including producer Lauren, is the oldest one. And I think that that is very indicative of all your personalities. <laughs> You're all much more responsible than I am. So kudos. <laughs> so Juan, we're talking about bringing things up to your parents, which can be a very uncomfortable situation for both of you, especially if you bring. I would recommend bringing your siblings into the conversation. I'm not going to help. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's to be really tough for someone who's an only child. I feel like that would be a lot yeah, of pressure that's to put a, that onto is a one lot of person. Pressure, yeah. yeah. Um, so what are some financial topics that people should bring up to their parents when they're having these conversations? But as far as uh, having the tough conversations with your parents, I think uh, uh, it's it's important to be to be very light with this topic. I guess it all depends on what type of relationship you foster with your parents, right? Like you know, do you have a relationship where you can have some radical candor and have the conversations up front? Or is your relationship with your parents a little more difficult to navigate and you need a little bit of finesse to bring this type of conversation into topic? Whatever the, the, the case may be, the best thing is to definitely have the siblings involved. I'm sorry, Will. I think you, you're going to have to be involved at some point. I bet you Jennifer agrees with that too, right? Jennifer, bring all the siblings. I do recommend you bring all the siblings. Some there's always one who's a who's a little more painful for, but um, but my sister she's a champ. She just stays on the line and and she actually calms the other two of us down because we're so serious about it. Um, and and it lends a different perspective, Will. So I think you can definitely add something to the mix. Aww. Well, I appreciate that. I just oh my god, thinking of that like thinking of talking about this with my parents was oh my gosh tough no 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 but then think <laughs> about what happens if you don't have those type of conversations Bingo. with your parents i mean that's where it really is at i'm really lucky my parents have been very forthcoming and they have come to me to talk about this conversation like i haven't oh, wow. had to bring it up to them because they're going through it with their parents so it's it they're like i don't want to do to you what my parents did to us. Let's sit down. They showed us where everything is. They showed us what their plans are. So it, we've been very, very lucky. I feel very comfortable with my parents right now because they're, they've they dealt with it with their with their parents and their parents handled, like my grandparents handled it very well. Oh. Um, they have to be very fortunate and they handled it very well on both sides. Um, so I think my parents have seen like the 
benefit that it gave them and the ease that it put on them. Not that it's easy at any point to have aging parents and having to deal with like health issues and other things, but the things that they didn't have to worry about because they were planning ahead. Yeah. So hoping that's still the case. <laughs> Cracked it. All right. In the intro, we talked about the so-called sandwich generation, which Christina is a part of. Yep. Uh, people with aging parents who are still raising kids of their own. So Jennifer, what are some of the challenges facing that generation in terms of money? And what advice can you offer people in that situation? I'm going to share two words that I hope will paint a picture that's reminiscent from one of the flights you may have taken in your life. And that is put the oxygen on you first, oxygen first. So, you know, when you think about the sandwich generation, you're pulling, being pulled in two different directions. Not only do you have to take care of yourself in the middle, um, but you have to take care of children on one side and potential issues with parents. Well, if you don't have oxygen on yourself, you don't have savings for yourself, you haven't started planning for retirement, and you're not financially stable, you really in all reality, can't help anybody preach, else. Preach, so, Jennifer, preach. Mm. That is awesome. Yeah, that's really number one. It's lovely to help other people, um, but you 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 need to be able to, um, to breathe and continue. And that's really hard for a lot of people because, um, you know, they want to take care of their children. That's the most important thing for them. And then they end up having aging parents and they can't see them um, suffering and, and, uh, and needing help. So it's really all about starting early, um, in your planning. So you've got the tuition on the one side and the health issues and the potential long-term care on the other, you know, hopefully you're getting some good financial advice, um, from an advisor or other resources in your life. And you're starting to educate your kids because this can continue. This lack of financial education can continue for generations. Or it can go the other way. You know, you can educate your children so that they're financially astute and they'll be able to help you better and not worry so much about um, taking care of themselves and their kids because they're already there. So the best advice I can give you is really to be very clear. Make sure you're putting oxygen on yourself. You know, it's impossible to, to really prepare for every scenario but the sandwich generation, be be sure to know that you're going to get hit on either side. And if you don't, then that's wonderful. You have extra money that you can do good things with and fund things with your family or give to charities at a later date. I feel like as as people live longer, this is going like I even see my parents, my both of my parents have their moms living. Then they have their kids, me and then my kids. Like, so they are, they, and they feel financially, res not responsible, but like they feel that they could still help. So I think they even have an extra layer on top of them of feeling responsible. So Juan, as we wrap up this topic, I really would love to hear from you. Um, how, what are some ways, what are some good tips that people can sit and broach this subject with their parents? Um, in a place where they're willing to discuss money? Mm, that's it's such a tough question, right? I, I, I would have to say that uh, coming, trying, avoiding to try and come in from a place of judgment and, and, and come from a place of love and care, uh, it's number one. Because um, uh, when you're having the tough conversations and you start throwing numbers, like the statistic that we had earlier, 
of $19,000 a year for daycare. And if it's actual nursing home over $100,000, you throw a number like that and that can start someone being, that can start, that can get someone to get stressed out real quick. So you, you want to avoid um, uh, coming in a, from a place like that, but definitely spreading the awareness around. And I, I, I think it was very well put by Jennifer, like, this is more of a generational change, right? So like you want your kids to be educated so that they can educate their kids and so on and so forth. So if if at the very least you couldn't save your parents, at least you, you're going to make sure you save your, your the future generation, right? Uh, so uh, but I, that would be my best advice. I mean, just come from a place of love and care. All right. So last question before a quick fire round. Jennifer, when do you think parents should start talking to their kids about things like retirement planning? Oh, gosh. I think um, as early as possible, you talk to kids about um, topics around money, um, but not necessarily retirement planning. They don't understand that. They can't absorb it. Um, I'm, an, I'm an aunt of nine children. And um, uh, one, one weekend, I saw that my kids, my nieces and nephews didn't understand about, um, you know, what the difference was between a dollar bill and a $5 bill. I asked for some change and they were not going to give me five singles for a $5 bill. Um, so, you know, I went to the bank and I got change of all sorts and, you know, we played a little bit of game, like, will you trade me this? And, and, and we calculated <laughs> out that, they, that. that the, the values are exactly the same. You know, you have 10 dimes, that's a dollar. Wow. I want the 10 dimes, you know, I don't want the dollar. <laughs> um, and it, and it seems so silly, but they really don't have a grip on basic money concepts. And I think introducing things like that, I um, tell a story about um, when you're saving money each month or each pay period in a 401k plan or in a savings account, that what you're doing is you're putting money aside and you're buying nuts and bolts and sheet metal and little chains and you're building a little machine. Now, if you put a little bit of money away, you can get small parts and build a small machine. If you put more money away, you can build a medium-sized machine. If you put a lot away, you get a big machine. And here's the idea. You build this machine, you don't touch it because you, you want it to continue to function and grow while you're working. And when you retire, you turn off the light switch in your office and you call your advisor and you say, please turn on my machine. And the machine kicks out money. And that's an idea and a concept that kids can understand. So sharing ideas, sharing concepts, telling them, you know, put 10 to 12% of your money away immediately, pay yourself first, put it into retirement things, explaining and educating about wants versus needs. We all have things we want. We're Americans. We want to buy stuff. We want it now. We want it yesterday. So we order it online. We order on Amazon. You know, I find myself having conversations with 40 and 50-year-old clients explaining about what their discretionary monthly income is and saying, okay, well, if you have $2,000 discretionary money, every month and you want to go on a trip to Africa and it's $6,000, you can't go out to eat every night. You have to think about it. Do you want to spend $1,000 a month saving for this trip? And it's really making people cognizant about money. Money doesn't have to be scary. Money is a tool and money provides um, opportunity and lifestyle. 
And so that's really how I try to communicate about money, because I think people are fearful about dollars and cents, if you will. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much. All right. So now let's get into our rapid fire round of questions, also known as making it count essentials. Christina, why don't you get us started? I would love to. Juan, the first question is for you. How would you recommend, you talked about this earlier about a written agreement. How would you recommend having that when you loan family members money? If we're going to put it in writing, it's probably best that uh, we include the amount loaned, uh, the interest rate if you're charging one. But I would assume that if you're going for a family loan, we're probably not going to be charging interest. At the very minimal, you want to get paid back. Uh, so again, just setting up the expectation in, in paper will probably be the best way to go about it. If there, if it's a small amount of money, uh, why make someone make monthly payments? Just put a due date on that and that's it. You pay it back by this due date. If you don't, then don't talk to me anymore. No. Um, <laughs> You're out. <laughs> no, but uh, you definitely want to make sure that you have very clear expectations up front. But, you know, it's, it's just such a difficult subject. I mean, like uh, everybody is, a, is has a different type of personality and God knows that family members are sometimes characters and you just never know what you're going to get, honestly. So at the very least, set up the expectations, put it on paper. And uh, that way, at least you have something to refer back to if you're ever having a conversation with that individual. All right, Jennifer, what can people do if they feel their parents haven't made adequate preparations for retirement? Seems like a tricky one. Panic. (laughs) 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 You know, it's it's an absolutely terrifying reality and it happens all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny, but it is scary. So, you know. The reality is, um, if if the parent, I mean, depending on how old they are and whether they still have the ability to continue to work, um, it may mean that they need to change their living situation. And so either move into um, an apartment, a less expensive apartment and sell their home. Maybe they need to move in with you. Will, I understand you have a big house. Um, <laughs> you know, they you you have the concern that they could become, um, you know, impoverished if they have a health issue. And, and nobody wants this. You know, um, I have a couple just different examples of, of recent people that I've spoken with and um, a husband and wife who were who were living in a different state and they really couldn't afford the maintenance cost of their current living situation. So for them, they took the equity out of their home, put it down on a smaller home in a more tax favorable state, and that helped to increase their monthly cash flow. So they can sustain their lifestyle in a different place, in a smaller place, maybe a less expensive place. And then I have another client who is spending all of her money and now what does she do? What are the options? Well, you can spend all your money and um, consider uh, a rever- reverse mortgage and um, live on that money and live in that location for the rest of your life. I definitely do not recommend reverse mortgages as a, as a real consideration. There certainly is probably a 2% application uh, where it's appropriate, but most times not. In this situation, this woman is looking at a progressive care uh, arena. So she's looking at potentially selling her home, 
putting some money down in a place that has a residential apartment and it has then continuous care. So it has assisted living in the future and it has long-term care at the end and you'll never get kicked out. So in something like that, that's the only way to ensure that she's not going to run out of money and still be taken care of. So it is very scary when people aren't adequately prepared, but those are kind of um, some of the things that you can consider. All right, Juan, this is a fun one. Did you ever have a financial request to your parents that now looking back, like that was the most ridiculous thing I should have asked for? I wish I had a good example for you. I I, I wish I would have asked for something and, and, and just laugh about it. But I, I got to I gotta be honest and share with you. I, I come from a very humble family. And actually, um, my, my first pair of Nikes, uh, I still, I was probably, I think I had turned eight and um, I went in Nike shoes and my mom actually financed my Aww. first pair of Nikes to pay monthly payments on them. And because that's the situation that we were in. Um, so I've always been very conscious about, um, you know, money and I've never really asked for anything. Oh, that's such a sweet story. All right, Jennifer, kids sometimes have funny ideas about money. What's something you believed when you were a kid that you think is amusing today? You know, guys, I thought about this question and I don't really have anything <laughs> a great story around money. Um, I grew up kind of in a very serious scenario around money. I mean, I remember being in kindergarten and and when they brought coins into play um, in kindergarten, I remember uh, riding on the back of the school bus and selling candy bars to, to feed my own hunger as an adolescent. I was one of those kids, so... You know, I will tell you, there's a funny story. My my grandfather is um, uh, Chinese first generation in this country. And when I was a little kid, I was in his restaurant in the back of the restaurant, maybe six or seven years old. And he he had a discomfort with banking and with institutions and, and a trust factor around money. And so he would keep his cash in the rafters above in the back of the in the back of the restaurant wow. in the kitchen and i saw this money up in the ceiling and my arm shot up like whoa look at that and my father just casually took my arm and pulled it down and and quietly quieted me about it but um so i didn't think that money grew in rafters but that was um that was a fun experience for me seeing that Thank you guys both so much. Um, this was such an incredibly helpful episode. And I'm sure that thinking about it and figuring out how to talk to your kids and parents about money, you guys have made it much easier to, to have those conversations. So now it's time when we ask both of you to let our listeners know what you're up to and where they can find you online. Juan, why don't you go first? If any of our members are listening and you need some any type of financial assistance, I would say you just call me directly. My phone number, and I'm going to give it out, 407-896-9411, my extension 3035. I'll repeat that again, 3035. Make sure to share it around. If you have questions, call me directly. And I'm sure that Lauren will put that in the show notes. And then Jennifer, it is your turn. How can we get a hold of you? Absolutely. So um, Jennifer Lee is my name. I have a website called squeezethejuicebook.com. It's a book I wrote during uh, the COVID timeframe here. And it really talks about writing your family love letter to your 
loved ones, whether it be your spouse, your business partner, uh, or your nieces and nephews in my case. And um, it really pulls together a lot of the things we talked about today. So you can find me on the website, or you can email me directly at jennifer at modern-wealth.com. I look forward to any questions or feedback you may have. Great. Thank you guys both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Christina, now it's time for our favorite segment. What What did did we we learn learn today? today? Well, I will start. I thought that Jennifer hit the nail on the head, and I say this to myself all the time, oxygen first. Like, just like in the airplane, you got to make sure that you have everything in a row so you can help others. So I thought that that was very, that that struck a nerve with me, definitely. Uh, Yeah, I think for me, and I know we were making fun of it, but I think it's important that it is a family affair when the conversation takes place. Um, it shouldn't be put on one sibling. I definitely have youngest sibling syndrome. Um, <laughs> and Juan gave you great tips on how to do that. Yes. Uh, but I, I know that just because any financial conversations that I've seen my family have, it really is like the entire family is there. And you need them there because eventually if an argument starts or things get to that point where people are mad, other people can kind of step in and try to cool things off. And it's a little bit easier. So, Well, you know, Will, that we always like to leave our listeners with a resource that they can use to make it count in their lives. And we have another great one today, right, Will? That's right. And we're tooting our own horns a bit because it's a previous episode of Making It Count from our second season. The episode is Real Talk, Why You Need an Estate Plan in 2021. Producer Lauren has linked it in the comments and we hope you'll listen. We had some great guests that episode and you should definitely check that one out. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Making Making It Count. And that's a wrap on this episode of Making It Count. If you learned something new, were inspired to reach your financial goals, or just found us entertaining, please subscribe, share, or rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. And don't worry, we'll be back soon with another new episode of Making Making It Count. Count.